I started this journey curious about a bizarre sport called competitive endurance tickling. But I now think this was never even about tickling. This is about power, control and harassment. It's about one person's twistedness and how far that can go. One person who's managed to shelter himself with money to keep his obsession going. But now it's his life exposed. For once, it's him on camera. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Posh Presents Pictures Powwow. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Swinski. And I'm Bartek. Hey, Bartek. How are Hi, you going? Ryan. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm... I'm doing all right. You know, it's, it is what it is. I'm sitting here with a microphone in front of me, ready to talk about something or rather. What about same. you? Same, actually same. Cool, cool. Like, you, you know the microphone's there, right? Uh-huh. Oh, good, good. I just want to make sure you, you weren't unaware of a secret microphone that we've hidden in your room recording you for other means, but you know that this microphone's here for this podcast. Yes, it, it, if there was another microphone, that would be a real-life conspiracy, if you can believe those exist. <laughs> oh, boy. So, we're here talking about a movie that has come recommended. The format of that usually goes Bartek, then me, then the listening people. This week, it falls on a recommendation that came from me, and a first-time uh, like kind of recommendation, a first-time thing for the podcast, us. We're discussing a documentary. We haven't discussed a documentary on the pod before, so I'm very excited about that. Finding Emo is crying. Well, documentary, not home, not fucking <laughs> holiday footage. This is the first time covering yeah. an actual real-life documentary that actually has a point. We are going to be talking about the 2016 film, I do believe, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Tickled. Uh, so if you listening people out there have not seen the film Tickled, we highly recommend that you watch the film Tickled before listening to this. This is one of those documentaries that is a joy to watch, and it's even more of a joy the less you know about it. Yes, it, this is real-life spoilers episode. Yeah, yeah, and it is... You just get more out of the film if you go into it as, you know, fairly blind. Like, obviously, Tickled kind of gives away an element of the film, but... Uh, you need to watch the film. It's definitely worth checking out, and we are going to be discussing it in-depth, spoilers, and uh, we just really would appreciate if you go back, go away, check it out, and come back, because it is... Yeah, well, let's get into it. It's uh, Bartek. Let's talk about our history and relationship with uh, Tickled. What's mm -hmm. your relationship with this? Uh, this was one that you recommended to me. I think it's the first documentary that you recommended to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I checked it out at your recommendation, really enjoyed it, and it kind of got me into watching documentaries, uh, in, more regularly. Mm. This was back in 2017, I remember it was March 2017, because, like, a week or two after I watched it, uh, a sort of development happened where mm -hmm. one of the people involved with the film passed away, so it felt like mm. funny little timing. Um... Mm. And I really enjoyed it, and it was always one that I knew I was going to rewatch again someday. And it's crazy that it's been three and a half years already. Mm. Um, and I've recommended it to other people that that we know, like Stephen from our Tekken episode, and my mum from our Rumble in the Bronx episode. 
cool. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I recommended this documentary to you because uh, we were just chatting. We, you know, doing the pod, we chat about what movies we have and haven't seen and what types of movies we wish that we would watch more of in terms of genre and stuff. And we were just talking about documentaries and you were kind of a bit in the park of uh, you haven't seen as many documentaries as you would like to have seen is the general feeling I got at the time. And I was like, well, there's a few I could think of, but uh, let's go with the most uh, uplifting one, uh, Tickled. And I thought you would get a kick out of it. And you really did. And it's great to hear that over the years you've, um, you know, you've recommended it to people because this is a documentary that... Uh, had a lot of hardships getting made and getting distributed and getting money back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rewatching it, the obviously I remember the big details, but there are all these little details. It's like, oh yeah. <laughs> so I found this documentary by watching a best of a certain year movie list, and it was by the YouTube channel Your Movie Sucks. Mm-hmm. He did a best of year, and it wasn't for 2016. It was for, I want to say, 2014. And this movie was released, but there was all these legal things, or they were still editing it, or something rather, that prevented it from coming out until a year or two later. So I remember hearing about this Tickle documentary, but with the knowledge that I won't be able to see this documentary myself for some time. So... I had really kept it in my brain over that per- over the period of time to check this movie out at some point because it just sounded interesting and uh, the recommendation on that video sounded really compelling. It made me want to watch it. And eventually I did get to watch it and I was... You know, it was it was an amazing experience because at first... You think it's going to be one thing, and it really does turn around and hit you in a way that you didn't expect. And I was watching it in a room full of people who didn't know anything about the documentary. I was the only one who knew about it, but I wasn't the one who brought it in. It was uh, my brother-in-law. He just happened to have it, and he was like, oh, I hear this is pretty funny. And I knew what it was about, but I didn't know that it wasn't going to not be funny the whole time. Mm, I thought it was going to be a funny documentary. But it turns into something else. And this is probably one of my favorite documentaries. I've recommended this to several people. I've watched this probably the most out of documentaries that I've seen. This has probably got the most rewatchability factor to me as a documentary. And I've watched it with several different people to get their reactions. Because it is a great one to watch with people who don't know anything about it and just seeing their reactions. Because at first you're like, ha ha ha, how funny and weird and creepy and ha ha ha. And then it's like, oh no, <laughs> it's a nightmare world out there. Yeah, I remember. It's weird undercurrents. Very odd. Yeah, I remember at the time you would always bring up that like at times it would give you chills or something like that. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. So I, that's my history with this movie, and I, um, I like documentaries. I have always kind of appreciated documentaries, but it took me a while to kind of get a groove with documentaries in terms of actually finding ones that I like and that kind of feel. Because just to talk about our relationship with documentary films, Bartek, I 
like many people in school and high school was like, oh, you're going to watch a documentary and it's either going to be a nature documentary or it's going to be a Michael Moore documentary. Because if it isn't David Attenborough talking about fucking polar bears or something, then it's going to be Michael Moore because he's the big documentary guy. And if you don't like doc, if you don't like him, then you, you won't like documentaries. It was always kind of the attitude that I was presented growing up is he's the documentary guy. And if you don't like his things, then you're not going to like any documentary. Um, and so it took me a while because I've never really liked his documentaries. Nothing wrong with them per se, but they're just not my flavor of thing. They don't touch upon things that uh, pique my interest in him and as a personality I don't find that compelling mm-hmm. what about you what's your relationship with documentaries documentaries uh, I hadn't really thought about them too much growing up whenever I watched them in school they were always like science based so mm-hmm. you know the various topics that uh, middle age, middle school age science classes cover so you know like chemistry um stuff about like space um and i remember sex ed had some ones because those were funny um mm-hmm. yeah so there were there were never anything that i really thought people would watch for entertainment so it was only really when i grew up um that i really started to realize oh wait documentaries can be fun if they're about you know interesting things or you know done by passionate people like one of the ones that i like is best worst movie Um, which Mm, is mm. the documentary about Troll 2 and its uh, modern-day fandom. Um, Yeah, yeah, but I hadn't really seen too many documentaries. It was really, I think, around the time you recommended Tickle that it really, like, awakened in me, and then you recommended the other ones, like Dear Zachary, Mm -hmm. uh, that HBO one about the serial killer who admits it at the end or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and just a bunch of ones like that. Yeah, we we in our spare time like watching like just finding documentaries and recommending them to one another and I've found quite a few that you've really enjoyed. I remember we both really enjoyed Wiener about mm-hmm. uh Andrew Wiener. And uh and we also enjoyed uh I think we both watched An Honest Liar, the one about the amazing Randy. I can't remember if we watched you watched that one or not, but that one's a great documentary too. And I have really grown to appreciate documentaries over the years because it does feel like what you said is not just educational. There is a point where you you embrace documentaries more and you realize that they can be funny, they can be intriguing. Most importantly, they can be entertaining as well as educational because each documentary in some way, shape or form is educating you on something you didn't know about or something that is giving you more information on something that you did know about but you didn't know all the full details of. And Tickled does that perfectly. This is a world that I knew nothing about. I didn't know any of its existence. I didn't know who the the, the, the lead guy is. He's a New Zealand journalist who does like the fluff pieces. And this documentary does a great job in entertaining you, educating you, and uh, touching at your emotional heartstrings in many different ways, because it does sucker punch you. It does bring you in thinking, oh, this is going to be a funny time about tickling. And then it becomes about levels of corruption and crime and a weird 
dark underbelly of society who knew that exi- who knew exi- who no one knew existed and yeah, uh and, stuff like and that the red fl- yeah, and the red flags get raised really early they do get raised really early but even then you don't think it's going to keep going you don't think it's going to keep escalating up and up and up and up and then it keeps going higher mm. and higher it's <laughs> It's uh, an interesting thing, but uh, let's kind of uh, talk about the, I guess, the plot of it, Bartek. How would you best summarize uh, Tickled? So, Tickled, uh, the setup is that we've got this New Zealand reporter. Um, note, note the fact that this is a gay New Zealand reporter. Mm. He look, He's looking for a new story. He, he finds a series of videos by this one company that is a competitive tickling league that is constituted entirely of athletic males some well known some but well the point is that they they all do stuff like some are actors some are athletes um and obviously this is something very interesting because mm. not many people know about tickling league so when he tries to investigate it um things go awry when the people who he contacted suddenly uh respond to him <laughs> pointing out the fact that because he is a gay man they want no association with him and these messages go on for weeks at a time and escalate to slurs and disrespect and threats and, <laughs> and, and threats yes and because this is so bizarre he feels compelled, his his journalistic integrity compels him to keep digging deeper into what this whole situation is. And the deeper he goes, the darker it gets. I have described it to people as, um, it's like if you're in a forest or, you know, some kind of shrubland and you find a, a like this big, like you find a log and you kick the log over and all of these bugs and lizards crawl out from underneath that you didn't know were there, Mm -hmm. that's tickled. He finds this log, which is a Facebook page that is, oh, tickling sport. Oh, that's funny. And he kicks it over and all of these creatures crawl out from underneath it that uh, you didn't know were going to be there. Because the thing that makes it really interesting is he is just a fluff piece journalist. Like, they show you at the very beginning what kind of pieces he covers. He is a comedy reporter kind of guy. He he interviews the strange and weird people. He's got a very... Uh, he's light. He's not a hard-hitting, deep, investigative journalist. He is the guy who does the two-minute fluff piece that fills in the time. He talks to the people who owns too many goats. He talks to a guy who eats frogs and stuff. He isn't... He isn't the big journalist from New Zealand who's fighting for the little guy. He's just a random guy who found this tickling page and thought, oh, this could be a funny little piece. And then they make it personal, beyond belief, and then he becomes that hard-hitting investigative journalist that you didn't know he was <laughs> going to be at the start of this movie. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's correct. And it is a story, it's a David and Goliath story, right? It's about the little guy fighting the big guy, because Jane O'Brien Media, the people who are the tickling company, is this giant conglomeration of things that have so many 
fingers and so many different pies and it's it's scary the the more they delve into it the more insidious the tickling becomes but what's funny about it is every time it gets really dark they'll remind you it's still about tickling because at the center of it it's it tickling still involved which is mm-hmm. beyond belief because you think when you hear oh there's this evil company who's who's you know, pretty much extorting and blackmailing people and they've got all this money coming out of nowhere. You're thinking, oh, it's going to be like an organized crime thing or drugs or prostitution or something or pornography. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is just about tickling, by the way. Yeah, and some of the earliest things that are established in this film is that when um when the, the reporter, Dave Ferry, I think his name is, um, when mm. he manages to actually get into contact with some of the people that appear in the videos... For them, it was literally, you know, just about the money. It wasn't about, mm. you know, a, a passion for tickling or anything like that. So on a on the surface level, it's these guys who are, like, clearly finding their situation kind of amusing. Um, but then it's just about, like, you know, what the company behind it thinks about tickling. Like, is it a fetish- is it a fetishistic thing for them? Is it, like, something that's actually serious? And as we learn, uh, mm. it leans to the, the former. Well, yeah, not, not that they would like you to believe that, Jane O'Brien Media. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I remember when I saw this, I just thought it was going to be about this guy investigating tickling and, like, what it's about, and that's what you do get, but you don't think it's going to be a story that will lead to, oh, tickling ruined my life. <laughs> you know, there's so many people in this in this documentary whose lives were ruined by accepting this offer to get money so that they could get tickled with their clothes on. Like, I think it's TJ, uh, the one of the first people we meet who was a participant in the tickling, whose life mm-hmm. was ruined, that I think he was talking about how it would be, it's kind of even more embarrassing because... Like, if he was naked, sure, like, you could completely understand, but there's something about that they're wearing the legitimate sports attire and they're tied up, and it, like, it just kind of, it would be better if it was porn out straight, but it isn't. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, that's right. People earlier this year, Bartek, during the year of 2020, uh, a year where the world has turned to shit, became obsessed with Tiger King as a documentary series on Netflix that was exploring a weird underbelly uh, world with crazy characters. And I remember you and I were talking about it, and you and I were like, oh, it's okay, but it's no tickled. Mm-hmm. What do you think it is about these type of uh, exploration, like these type of documentaries that really hit a nerve with people, that really like tap into... In, tap into the the mind of the viewer i guess it connects to like the appeal of mysteries you know uh, a lot of these documentaries that we watch start out with this question of like what is the deal with this thing here or, or something like that like a, a driving question and the many different facets in which that question is tackled or attempted to be answered or at sometimes led to the wrong answer um, gives it a really fun little journey. So it's, mm. I guess this is like an aspect of the magic of cinema. You're on a you're on a journey, and in this one, it's one of those 
or and a lot of these documentaries, it's the whole truth is stranger than fiction. That's yeah, that's exactly it because. There's some people out there who believe that Tickled is a mockumentary. Because it's so absurd. The idea that this gay New Zealand reporter who covers fluff pieces just somehow managed to stumble across this huge organization that's been hidden in plain sight all of this time that is doing these horrific things. The idea that there's such things as a tickle cell and... And lines like, uh, he says, uh, David Farrier says, I've fallen down the uh, tickle rabbit hole even further, or something like that. Lines like that. It makes you think, <laughs> oh, this is, a, this, is a, this is a mockumentary. But it's the stranger than fiction aspect of these type of documentaries. Things like this, and Art and Craft, that's another great documentary. Or Tiger King, where if this was a mockumentary, would it be that interesting? Perhaps, but the fact that this is real, the fact that Tiger King is real, the fact that these things are real, but not just the the events, but the people involved are real, makes it so bizarre because they are all cartoons. Like my one of my favorite car, like I describe these people, these are real people, but because this situation's so absurd, it's kind of like they're from a cartoon. My favorite cartoon character that's in this documentary is Dave Starr, the casting agent for Mm -hmm. Terry Tickle back in the 90s to mid-2000s. And he feels like he's from Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul or something. Like, he doesn't feel... He feels like a TV show character, but he's a real guy. (laughs) (laughs) And he's just so blasé about the whole affair. Like, yeah, I was involved in tickling. It's just another job. Yeah, when when he showed him all the letters he had and there were some that weren't opened and one of them was a poem and he didn't even have that strong a reaction to it. <laughs> yeah, because he had heard them all before. <laughs> yeah. But that, I think that's a huge appeal of these documentaries to me is it rides that line of this would be too silly for a mockumentary but it's so brilliant that this is a real life documentary Mm -hmm. because there's a kick out of watching these bizarre characters that are real life people try and uh, explain to us the viewer how they got into this mess uh, because one of my other favorite aspects of the movie, Bartek, is the people who work for Jane O'Brien Media. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you feel about those people? Yeah, that's quite an eclectic group. You've got the one guy who's very friendly and, like, on the same level as Dave. Marco. <laughs> yeah. Marco. And then you've got the guys who, you know, are, are cordial until they discover you know, an mm. aspect of Dave's side of things, like the fact that he's recording, <laughs> and then they just get, like, straight up, you know, antagonistic and and uh, stalwart. They do not want to change. Yeah, yeah, and the one we want to mention is uh, Kevin, the, the, the big guy with the white hair and ponytail. Mm-hmm. I am fascinated by him as an individual because out of all the people that we meet who work for this tickling organisation... He's the one that has clearly justified it to himself. Like, he's not just like Dave Starr was, where he was like, I was doing this for the money. Like, I was doing it as a bit. Like, Kevin, he has a 
I don't know what he has, but he has some kind of internalized rationale behind how they can do these horrible things. Like, I don't know if it's just about the money for him or what. We don't know. We don't get to know anything about Kevin because that's what his point is. He doesn't want you to know anything because Jane O'Brien doesn't want you to know anything. He's a yeah, company he... man for a company that is about tickling. Yeah, and as soon as, you know, he gets antagonistic and he notices the camera, like, every time you see him, he's constantly talking. He's got things to say. He's pointing out... Uh, he's, like, narrating what's happening. Like, you you think you know what you're doing, blah, 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 things like that. So he's, he's trying to make everything go his way, get his ideas into, you know, whoever he's talking to's head. Mm. And they have a whole meeting in which the the point of them coming down is they don't want him to do this interview or documentary because they won't be able to control the spin of the story. And they want to be able to control the spin of the story of the tickling. Mm -hmm. Which brings me up to the point that I think we need to talk about, which is the film deals with homophobia uh, in an interesting fashion. Because our, our lead, you know, documentarian, uh, our hero, David Farrier, is, is, is gay. And he gets sparked into this because the, they were bullying him. They were being homophobic to him. And as he says, it's so funny that the Tickling League don't want any homosexual connotations when it's probably the gayest thing he's ever seen in his life. Yeah, it's it's completely bizarre. Because that's a part of what is in the undercurrent of this entire story is how incredibly homoerotic the Tickling League is. And even when you don't even see it, you just hear, oh, this movie's about, t- about guys tickling one another. It sounds very gay. And it's because it mm-hmm. is very homoerotic. But Jane O'Brien Media, and later on the head of it, David D'Amato, he, there's a weird homophobia that they have about the whole situation in which they want to try and legitimize it and be like, this isn't gay. And this isn't pornographic. Mm. And it clearly is. And I think that's probably one of the greatest aspects of the documentary is that complex is not just from David D'Amato. It's the whole company of people have the same complex. Why? Yeah, it's it's really bizarre. And like at the end of the documentary, when um, uh, the head guy's stepmother uh, is spitballing ideas, like you know, maybe he's gay, maybe he's asexual, something like that. Mm. It's you don't get the answer, and it's such a bizarre thing that this huge organization is centered around this one guy's fetish and it's to the point that i can i really can't fathom him interacting with any of the other people part of the organization well no it just seemed, no yeah. it's completely like and i don't think and i wouldn't be shocked if they've never interacted with him pro like properly because they've never met jane or they've never because i don't know if kevin and Marco, and, and I think the guy's name was Andrew, those guys, I don't think, like, did they know that Jane O'Brien was this guy? I don't know. Maybe. I, I like to that... think that they did, because, I don't know, Kevin had the same exact rhetoric as David D'Amato th- when we met him. Yeah, I think Kevin was the one that said something like, you don't know how deep this goes, when it was mm-hmm. the secret uh, 
mm. hotel meeting. Uh. So I think that implies that, like, he at least knows most of it. Yeah, but it is very strange, right, that we don't get an answer to it all. And is that dissatisfying from a perspective of a viewer? Because in a documentary, you kind of want, you know, the answers. You want to know the full story. And we know, as people have watched many documentaries, Bartek, that that's not always going to be the case. But when you watch something like this, is it a dissatisfying ending? Um... I think it's, I mean, it's it's definitely realistic, so I wouldn't say that, like, oh, they should have tried harder, made more. No. I would like to know a bit more, but the way it ends, it does have this, like, holy shit, I just watched that kind of feel. I mean, you're still thinking about what you just watched more so than it's over. I agree. I think this is one of those endings where you don't get the full puzzle. And I think that's perfect, because that's what... The head of this all, David D'Amato, that's his whole M.O. is like, the only picture of him that exists is that one picture that they used in the documentary. Like, he is such a mysterious, elusive figure who used all this money and power to hide. And we find out who he is, but do we find out why he does this all? Like, why? What, what, what happened to this guy? No, and that's just because how that's how life works. You don't always get an explanation on on these kind of things. This isn't a TV show where you can write a script and the backstory of the bad guy is this. The stepmother speculates, but like she yeah, says She gives us the maybes. But she says it too, like, but I don't know. Like people don't just, you know, develop inside of a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And I love that aspect of it because it makes you think of is he gay? Was he gay? Was he was he asexual? What was he? But he was. If I like, yeah, I personally think he was most likely homosexual, and he had like this weird internalized homophobia that I've never seen before. Yeah, every time you hear um, one of his personas giving out the the you know homophobic uh, letters or tirades, it, it similar to Kevin, it just feels like you know the point that they want to make, their their stance, they're just going to drive it into mm. you as hard as they can, just pummel you with it. They, it's, it's a real typical bully move because they're just bullies. It's the bully thing of, like, if they just keep smacking you in the face with it, you're just going to stop saying and stop asking and stop complaining. Like, if you say, well, this is clearly gay, and if they just keep smacking you with lawsuits you're eventually just going to get tired and stop, and then they win. Then they win. And it's such a... Because <laughs> at the end of the day, this is still about... It's not... I mean, the documentary says it. It's not about tickling. It's about power. But the fact that tickling's involved... Tickling, which is, as they explore, a very kind of underrepresented fetish? Something that people don't think about in a highly sexualized manner? But when you see the tickling league you can't help but feel uncomfortable about it like there's something wrong here and then you meet uh i'm forgetting the guy's name the the actual guy who's a pornographer who does tickling fetishes online yeah i forget his name too but i know who you mean and you watch his stuff and you hear how he talks about it and it's nowhere near as unsettling it's still odd uh, but it's not I don't know, 
as unsettling as it is when you see Jane O'Brien Media do it. Because Jane O'Brien Media pretends, even when you look at it, pretends that this isn't gay or isn't sexual. And something about the pretense of it not being those things makes it unsettling beyond belief but at least with the pornographer guy he's just straight up with it he's very open and honest and they just kind of do what it is and it feels like okay well i understand what pornography is so that's fine but fucking tickling league is is creepy yeah i've heard that there's a sentiment online this is more so about like artists who draw like pornographic images that um they'll be some of the most honest people you ever meet because they're already, you know, exposing themselves in a way. And that's kind of what that guy was doing, you know. He's mm. on a documentary, you know, talking about his fetish and the content he produces, and it's just very open and honest, and you can see that it's consensual, you can see that it's playful, um, and it's not as, you know, disgusting. It's not filled with shame. Hmm. He has no shame about his sexual preferences. And that's okay because his sexual preferences aren't dangerous. They aren't, you know, they aren't, you know, legal, you know, but David D'Amato makes it dangerous by the fact that he is so clearly ashamed of it to the point in which he's just using that shame to fuel his anger to bully and control anyone who comes into his orbit. And that is what makes it very scary. And that's the great thing about this documentary is we're watching the we're on the ground with, with David Ferrier and, and Dylan where we're watching them get bullied by this guy and they've said, No, nope, I'm not having it. We're gonna go against whoever this is, find them expose them and you're wanting them to succeed at that because just primal basic monkey brain thing is we don't like bullies and whoever this guy is whoever they're going to find is a bully beyond belief and you just want to see him go down and yeah i'm oh go on i was just gonna say in the very first letter that um that dave receives um there's one line where uh it mentions that like you know, down in New Zealand, that's where, you know, gay people are accepted, but that's not the way in the rest of the world. And that almost like gives you this, or almost, it does give you the sense of like the person behind all of this is in their own world. It really highlights the power dynamic, you know, within the first three minutes of the film. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, really appreciating the filmmaking of, of this as well, not just the storytelling, but the the filmmaking of it was uh, uh, really, really well done. I liked the, the locations that they would film the the subjects in, and it kind of reflected who they were in some way, shape, or form, or an idea of what they are. And uh, that was really fun. It added a flavor to it. It's a nice-looking film. It sounds good. And uh, they just get good interviews out of these people. Each person has something to say. Yeah, I was going to say, Dave doesn't always go into, like, where he finds everyone or, like how he, you know, got in contact with them. It's, it's always kind of presented as, like, finally, we found someone who will talk, and, you know, that just mm. gives this notion of, like, oh, man, what did, what did he finally uncover? And that was, like, the main one was TJ at the beginning. Mm, yeah, yeah. Who I feel the most sorry for. Like, I don't know, everyone I feel sorry for in some way, but I feel bad for him. His life got ruined pretty bad. 
Yeah, yeah. All, everything he said really sad. And then the I, th- I can't remember if it was him or the next guy that they mm. talked to who was part of the videos. Um, but he was just highlighting like all of the ways in which you know their life was ruined by this one company yeah yeah tj was talking about like they would email his schools that he would work at and coaches and like tell them that he was a gay pedophile and like all of these horrible things and he's like which none of which are true and i found you know tj just seemed like a nice he just seemed like a cool guy you know and so you felt bad for him even on that level because just you know, just meeting him in this documentary he just seems like a guy that you'd want to hang out with. He just seems like a, a, a chill dude. And on that basic level, you feel bad for the fact that his life was ruined. And he kind of gives you the, in terms of the narrative structure of the movie, he's kind of a foreshadowing like event of what's going to happen is he got involved because he fell on hard times and that's then leads later into tickled when we find a whole fucking city of people who have fell fallen on hard times who turn to the tickling thing for financial means and it's just showing you that not only is it just a weird fetish thing it's a weird power thing cuz later you find out like there's that whole city with the tickle cell and the MMA fighters that whoever's in charge of this tickling league isn't just going after hunky guys. They're going after people who are down and out, people who need money, people who are suffering. And they're going to give them this money, make them happy for a little bit, but then make them suffer even more so. And that's fucking evil. Yeah, yeah, the the whole reliance thing. Like, they depend on the money that they receive from these tickling yeah. jobs. But then, of course, as um, I can't remember which reporter said it, but, you know, eventually, you know, boys get all the toys and cars and things they want and they don't need the tickling anymore. And mm. then that pisses Terry Tickle off, you know? Like, <laughs> I, um... Did you have a favourite, um section in this in this on your rewatch of it favorite section oh, that's a good question um mine is when they kind of go back and forth between the two journalists who had investigated this story in the past in the 90s with uh with Terry Tickle and what she was getting up to and them telling us and uh, you know our document crew about the information that they acquired but then also when our crew of people give them the information that they've picked up and seeing these <laughs> journalists who just touched the surface of this 20 years ago get this information and it all falls into place yeah. when she was like reaching out for like the next letter <laughs> like that was just a really you know like hung journalistic hunger for information she was my favorite interview subject. Debbie um, was mm. her name, not to get confused, the fake Debbie that uh, that Jane O'Brien used. But she was my favorite. And I was listening to the commentary track of, of uh, Tickled because I have it on DVD. And oh, yeah, yeah. they were talking about, um, she was like one of the last people they got to interview. So, because they had a hard time finding her because her name had changed because she got married and and she was just really hard to find. And they found her, and you'd like this, Bartek. Uh, 
they had to leave a day of looking outside of uh, David D'Amato's house to go interview mm-hmm. her. They had to go to a different state or somewhere to go interview her. And they're like, we're so glad we did, though. She was great. And I'm glad they did, too. She's like my favorite person they interview. She just cool she's takes no shit at just the joy of her reading those letters that dave star kept about oh uh, oh i'm very sick with mono oh like just so <laughs> she's relishing in it so much because you can see with her this was a story that hadn't left her but she you know couldn't investigate it anymore and then here they come along with all of this new information and you just see her reaction as a journalist and as someone who was invested just really kick into gear. So When presented with new information, she sees through all the bullshit. Ah, it's so good. That's my favourite section of the movie. Have you thought about what yours was? Yeah, I really did enjoy the earlier parts when they were talking with Kevin. Mm. Yeah, just this like uh, unveiling thing going on, just... More questions are being asked. Like it's you know first act thing. Get more interested in it. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's really hard to pick because the whole thing just comes together in such a way. I guess you know what talking to, um, and this isn't just one section, but the various interviews with the guys that were actually in the video, I think, were the most interesting for me. Yeah, they gave you an interesting insight into what it's actually like from that perspective. And what an interesting perspective that is. I really um, have no negatives with this documentary. It does what it needs to. It tells the story in uh, not just a fascinating and complex way, but like I've said several times, an entertaining way. It, It doesn't get so dark that it makes you depressed, but it doesn't want to just make you laugh and giggle because there are so many surprisingly dark elements that pop out at you. Was there any in this watching of it, Bartek, any of the kind of darker revelations uh, or pieces of information that really hit home for you or hit hard on this watch? Um, Yeah, like I said, I forgot a lot of little details. So just all the all the details of you know, how their lives were ruined. Again, this ties back to the, the interview subjects. I was really hit hard when um, hit me hard the first time, but this time too when Debbie is talking about when she find like when she's talking about how he was an assistant principal and a school counselor or whatever, and how how that fucked up it is that he's taking this out on young people, people who are more often than not underage, people, these children, and he's taking this weird, sick anger out on them, and his day job is working in that environment. And it, yeah, it goes against you know his job, what he's meant to do. It goes against everything a teacher's supposed to be, yeah. And that part really hits hard for me, because it is... Uh, because the reveal is, oh, he's a man. But at that point, you already like when the thing started, you didn't think she it was a woman, did you, Bartek? It was always kind of in your brain that this is most likely a dude. If it is just one guy, it feels like it would be a dude. Yeah. Yeah. If it's one person, it's most likely a dude. 
and you get the drop, it's a dude, but what, that isn't the drop. The drop is, no, this is a dude who's from a super rich, privileged family, and he works in the fucking education system while he's doing this. That's the thing that fucking was scary about it. Not, oh, it's a dude, oh no, it's the, this is like one of the richest families doing, like, this is a rich family... He's yeah, rich lawyer family. Rich lawyer family. Oh, oh, and when the other journalist guy talks about how the judge let him study law because, of course, that's who you want is your a lawyer, someone working in the field of law who's broken two federal laws. Yeah, I actually forgot all about the stuff about how he he was from a wealthy family, so all of that was like, oh god, this is worse than I remember. Yeah, yeah, and uh. It's just a, a solid time. I find that section with the MMA fighter, probably the, uh, and you know, that whole city, to be the slower part of the documentary, but that's because it's the most somber part. It's the most depressing part. It's the part where you're really learning about how the tickling operation works from a more underground level. Because you met Kevin and Marco and all that, and they run like the the higher level where it's like, hello, here we are in LA with our fancy studio. And then you go to this city that's like covered in snow and it looks like it's dying and it's filled with crime. And it's just like this guy just hustles people in to get tickled just so they can get money. If they're redheads or Asian, he gets more money. And it's just, Mm. and they're auditions so you can go to the real ones. And it's just sick. (laughs) It's just Yeah, you learn his fetish and his type. Yeah, interesting, right? Um, mm. What else do you want to touch upon with Tickled? We've covered a lot about it already. Yeah. Well, I do want to touch upon... I have watched this several times, but for some reason I always forget, and it always thrills me, how mm. much of an antagonistic, dickish person David Ferry is in his investigation. And I mean that in the most positive of ways there's so many times when he goes out of his way to piss them off just because it would make the the thing do go better and i don't know if i could do that i don't know if i could do the things he was capable of doing in this like when he goes to the studio right when they go to la and Mm -hmm. they're sitting in the car and he's like you know i'm just gonna go over there um, my wife was just, like, so nervous. Even though she's seen this before and she knows that it's all okay, it's just something nerve-wracking about that. And we like... Uh, you and I like that type of documentarian, like a Louis Thoreau, who who plays kind of naive, but they're really kind of being probing and, and or antagonistic in their approach. Yeah. They bring a sort of childlike professionalism to their job. <laughs> yeah, and I think with David Ferrier's approach, like Louis, it's that kind of thing, but unlike Louis, David Ferrier is, um, it's far more comedic. Like, he feels like a, like a comedic approach is far more present when he does it. Like, it makes you laugh more, while Louis's one, you're like, is he going to get hurt doing this? <laughs> Not saying that he isn't funny, I find him incredibly funny, but uh, Dave Ferry's approach, I don't know, just something about it. Just when he goes to meet the head guy, David D'Amato, he, he, 
I'm both nervous, but I'm excited because I just don't know how that guy's going to react. And he reacts appropriately. He just keeps walking and telling them that, oh, you're going to get, you know, meet you in court kind of attitude. But yeah, it's it, it's funny because like there, there are two main moments where he's like, I'm just going to go. There's the, the studio one earlier on where the, the tense thing is like, well, you don't know what's going to happen there. You don't know if there's security. Mm. You just don't know anything. And then with the next one, it's just out in the street and at a Starbucks or something, public place, but the stake has risen because of who the guy is. So both times I also was feeling like really tense, like, oh man, how's, how's this going to go again? I know he doesn't get hurt, but geez. David D'Amato is just cool as a cucumber about it. He's just like spouting off that rhetoric of, oh, see my lawyer and all of that. And uh, you don't know what you're doing. You got a visa, you know, you're on this type of visa and you can't yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, tourist visa. No, it's journalism visa. <laughs> Because that's how David D'Amato operated, right? He would get these people to come over on on uh, these tourist visas, and if they fucked with him, he would say that they were working, but they're under this type of visa, and he would report them if they didn't do what he wanted. Like, that's a part of his tactic. And what a sick man, huh? We Yeah, really weird that he tried to pull it with a journalist that didn't work for him. He thought he, he, thought he could just do that. <laughs> he just thought he was top <laughs> shit. Because I think he underestimated how professional they were being about the whole thing. Because really, who would expect that from, from that guy? From David Ferrier? Like, look at what he was. Who thought that this guy would unravel this giant like they from david demata's perspective he probably looks at him and goes oh this this stupid little gay new zealand reporter who does fluff pieces is it gonna get jack shit on me i'm gonna squash him like i've squashed everyone else and then the guy finds him <laughs> i always well yeah there's always this thing in my head of like um uh What's going on in their head with like, oh, how did they, how did he find me? What did he do to find out where I am? I <laughs> must be crazy, it, but they're cool as cucumbers. You yeah, see. he's just cool about it. And, you know, considering I do adore the phone call with his stepmother and how she just is, oh, not again. I thought he was. You quote. I thought it was. You quote that one particular line a lot. Oh, the it never stopped. <laughs> he never stopped. Never, yeah. He never stopped. What a group! How fucking terrifying that though, because he went to prison, right? He he served his time, and it never ceased. The tickling it never stopped for one moment in all of these decades. Mm-hmm. He was that good at operating this tickle empire. I said. He's the Tickle King, which is what they were originally going to call the documentary, but then they thought Tickled because Tickle King gives away that it's a dude, even though it's pretty obvious. Yeah, well, that's what they called the follow-up thing, didn't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we want to talk about uh, some of the behind-the-scenes real-life and follow-up stuff about the documentary, because, of course, with a lot of documentaries, they don't just end after the documentary ends. There's fallout or, or or stuff that happens after the documentary is released you want to touch upon some of those things i can try i actually didn't re-watch it but i remember little bits of it so there was um i think it was like a 20 to 30 minute follow-up called the T the tickle king um and it was it was filmed during the um the the premieres of and the film festivals showing the the film tickled 
uh, the one that we're talking about right now, mm. and it talk and it and the filming shows that there were some people as part of the um, the conspiracy who went to the to the screenings and you know tried to cause trouble, and then in the last part of it, and I remember the sad thing was that Dave wasn't there; it was the other guy. Um, yeah, yeah. David D'Amato turns up, and. <laughs> It's just, it was really bizarre just to see this elusive figure now just in the audience and, and talking to the filmmaker and the audience and... Yeah. And just exposing yeah. himself to the world, right? Because they were Facebook-living the event too, so... And it's just, yeah, that's what's bizarre is this guy's been so elusive and so secretive and someone who literally no one knows anything about him. And if they do, they say that they don't. And if they say that, then they also say, leave him alone. Mm -hmm. Then just walks in and is like, hello, this is me, by the way. And I object (laughs) to these statements that I'm a pervert. Like I I remember he was complimenting the film a lot, though. Yeah, it was a well-made film. Yeah. I listened to the commentary track for this. I have it on DVD, and it's the two is Dylan and 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 David, and they talk about why David wasn't there. He was at the New York screening, while uh, Dylan was at the LA screening, and it was very odd because David D'Amato lives in New York, but he flew mm-hmm. all the way out to LA to do that. So who knows? Uh, and. The commentary touches upon some interesting little tidbits and stories. A lot of it is just, like, filling in the gaps that the documentary couldn't do. Like, how did they get this um, person to get an interview with? Or how did they acquire these documents? Little things that would be too tedious or annoying or crazy to explain in the documentary. You need to streamline these things, which was yeah, which is great information to get at. It was, yeah, it would have ruined the pace and it would have just, yeah. And so the commentary track's really great in that regard. And you give some funny behind the scenes stories of uh, like um, their DP guy who was always obsessed with getting these perfect shots and stuff, like the shot (laughs) of the hawk grabbing the squirrel and all of that. And uh, there's a great story about him having to, uh, um, they were waiting outside that guy's house, the MMA fighter guy. outside of his house to interview him and the guy said I'll be there in a little bit but the door's open you can just wait inside and they and them being New Zealanders they're like no 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 we're too polite we won't do that we'll sit outside and then the DP guy apparently had a really bad tummy and he needed to do a shit and mm-hmm. he just had to sprint in there do a shit clean it up and go back to the car and pretend like he had never gone in there <laughs> Because they said they weren't going to do that because it would be rude. Um, right, right. So fun stuff like like that um, uh, was interesting stuff. And the question of like when did the document like when in the story did it become really scary and serious to them? Because we watch it and it's still kind of funny and levity builds in the first half of it, but there does come a point in the documentary where you, the audience. If it's done a good enough job, you become, you know, this becomes serious. But they talk about, oh, serious from day one because I would get emails like five times a day telling me that my lifestyle was wrong. So it was kind of serious from the very beginning. 
which is mm. interesting because that is true in the documentary. But you 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 kind of still get the sense that there's a levity to it. But you gotta you gotta think about it. Like they were getting harassed by these people like millions of millions of times a day. Yeah, but I guess the documentary just highlighted like the bafflement. Yeah, which is of course key to it all. Is they were baffled as you would be. Uh, <laughs> The commentary track was really great. It was just them two answering some questions and talking further, and it gave some great behind-the-scenes info. I also watched a doc, uh, an interview with Stephen Fry, who's a, an associate producer on this, I do believe, mm-hmm. and how he got involved, and it was just very interesting, because when you watch it, it does say Stephen Fry presents, and you're like, how's Stephen Fry involved with this? I was like, is it the Stephen Fry? It's the Stephen Fry. He backed them on Indiegogo, and then he just kept being involved, and he just kept helping them out, and he would watch the cuts of it and give them advice. All oh, right, yeah, the credits said that it was backed. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so, yeah, stuff like that. So Stephen Fry became more heavily involved than they expected, and they were very thankful for that. And Stephen Fry talks about just, uh, you know, him being a, a an openly gay man and how he doesn't like tickling, and of course he was interested in backing this. This sounds like a very bizarre world. <laughs> oh, nice. And he doesn't like bullies, so, <laughs> so Stephen Fry was involved. It was interested to be involved. I told you, um, and of course, we got to touch upon David D'Amato died. Mm-hmm. We, we, Shortly and, after I watched it. How does that feel? Knowing that piece of information when you rewatch this? Because when you watch a documentary like this, you're thinking, well, if the documentary doesn't get him, the fallout of the documentary will get the bad guy. But then David D'Amato's just fucking dead. Yeah, I remember at the time, because we, we talked about this earlier like 15 minutes ago the documentary ends you know without all the questions but it leaves you like pondering over everything it didn't necessarily make you think like oh why did it end there it did leave you with this sense of like oh man i wonder if there's gonna ever be any like future developments you know for this story um and then once the guy died it's like oh well anything that you know any developments that would happen would be like posthumous or with someone else and they won't hit as hard because David D'Amato was the guy. He's mm. the person you want to see go down. And he's 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 died. And I love um they had some statement, the filmmakers on their side about like how they were very sad to hear about his passing, you know, like Yeah, mm-hmm. I read that somewhere. <laughs> mm, I bet you were. Uh and I it adds an interesting wrinkle to this and it does when you do watch these type of documentaries where it's a documentary about these type of figures and then you you know years pass and you know how things panned out afterwards like when we first watched it uh, it was still fresh and new and David D'Amato was still alive and then like for you a month later he died but well, not even a th- month not even a month uh, a little bit later but you when you watch something like this and there's no conclusion to it in that regard you're thinking well this will will force something to happen in the real world and it adds an interesting wrinkle when you go back to something like this knowing that it did and also it doesn't because david damato's dead and so he's not really going to be facing these huge repercussions you would expect him to and isn't that just his story David D'Amato, isn't that just his fucking life story? Is he just never really faced these huge repercussions that you think he should have? Because I think David Ferrier says it at one point, like, um, you know, it's he has all this money and all this power, but, like, if it was him doing this stuff, 
he would be in prison. Like, like David D'Amato can get away with it because he's got all this money. Yeah. But if it was just anyone, they would be in prison already and serving some serious time. But David D'Amato can get away with it. Um, I just want to talk about the documentary. Uh, I mean, um, the uh, the commentary track for the documentary. It is one of the best because just it's really funny. They give you some great insights of how documentary works. I've never listened to a commentary track on a documentary before. Mm-hmm. So it gives you an insight. It's also the worst commentary track I've ever listened to in my life. Yeah, this is be- what I'm interested in hearing. Because of one factor. Uh-huh. I bought this on DVD for like $30. So I expect some good shit. And I did get some good shit. It comes with two commentary tracks. One by them and one by the Dollop podcast who is referenced in this because they had an episode about... Oh, yeah, there was like a segment earlier. Yeah, right? So I haven't listened to their commentary track, but I've listened to the director's one, right? And it's out of sync from the very fucking beginning with with the visuals. It's behind the visuals, uh-huh. So it's like a few minutes behind the whole time. Minutes? Minutes. Oh, God. Like two minutes, perhaps? Maybe three? Jeez. I didn't clock it, but it's behind. And then, because the movie ends, the commentary track just cuts off halfway through a really interesting discussion. Oh, and I don't... God. So I'll never know how that ends. And that's why it's one of the worst ones. I've never experienced that before. Do you know and if it's just your copy or did you look up? I don't know. The, yeah. I mean, how am I? I looked it up on online and no one's talking about anything about the commentary track at all. So, because it, I guess it's a niche thing to kind of bring up, right? But I, I don't know what's happened here. I don't know what went wrong. And so I'm really disappointed because... Yeah, I like commentary tracks, and I've never listened to a documentary one before, and the first one I listened to of a documentary one's out of sync, and it just cuts off because the movie ends. Yeah, and the cut-off thing, like, if if you weren't paying attention to the visuals, I guess that would be possible, but yeah, the ending two minutes early, that's that's bad. Yeah, and, you know, I'm far more fussy as well. Like, uh, if, if something's out of sync, subtitles are slightly out of sync. If anything's slightly out of sync, I spend so long trying to figure out how to get it back in sync. Mm. And this, obviously, I couldn't. And I just, I don't know. And I'm, I'm curious to listen to the other commentary track to see if that one's in sync and it's just something they fucked up with this or if it's my DVD. I don't know, but I paid $30. Fast. Huh? They're two minutes fast. Uh, yeah, that would be funny. I paid nearly 30 bucks for this, and I want a real commentary track, but eh, yeah, that's what I got. <laughs> uh, so I don't recommend the movie now. Thanks, commentary track. No, uh, I recommend Tickled. Uh, obviously, we've talked about some of the big highlight points. There's obviously little details that we haven't talked about, but that's the joy of watching a documentary. I'm glad that we finally got to talk about the documentary. This one's a great one to kick off with. It's a great introductory pod, uh, documentary, like I like you said. It's one that gets you interested in seeking out other documentaries and ones like this. Mm-hmm. And I think I've done a pretty good job of finding one similar to this and in the same kind of vein and recommended them over to you over the years. And For stuff. sure, yeah. 
I like my weird character study documentaries. I like stuff like like this and uh, and uh, Wiener and Art and Craft is a good one and an Honest Liar and uh, there's one I'm forgetting the name of it but you would like it Bartek. It's about a it's about these two guys who are arguing over who can own this severed foot. It's a very good one. <laughs> okay. The Sounds guy whose foot it is and someone who found the foot. <laughs> very good. I'm forgetting the name of that one, but it's very funny. It's on Netflix too. But uh, I like these weird kind of kooky documentaries and Tickled is the crowning king in amongst those for me. It's definitely high up there. Recommend it. Love it. Enjoy it. All of that. Mwah. I guess you but... could say it really gently brushed your skin bone. Mm. Okay, well... I was going to ask if you would. I was going to ask you for your final thoughts and uh, recommendation, but you made that statement. I don't feel like you deserve it. Just very quickly, hate it. Don't watch it. Okay, cool. Uh, (laughs) No, do you want to give your real final thoughts and uh, recommend? It's the opposite of what I just said. I love it. Definitely check it out. Fantastic. Uh, Are you ready to hear next week's episode? Well, I mean, I'd like to know what we're going to do in the next episode. You see, Ryan, we haven't actually recorded the next no, episode. No, I'm going to re- we're going to record it now. Like you want to hear it? Oh, no, sure. I, yes. Are you sure. ready for next week's movie recommendation for next week's episode of Pictures Powwow? I'm keen to hear it. Well, we're uh reluctantly revisiting a thing that we've touched upon before. Mhm. We're going to watch the 2019 film Glass, the oh. follow-up to Unbreakable. Okay. Recommended by our good friend Julio at the Contrarians podcast. Was Unbreakable the first thing we recorded remotely together? I hope so. I think Will so. Will this be the last thing ever? Maybe. I really hope well, so. Isn't, we, isn't we stage see. four ending soon? Who knows? So we will be talking about the M. Night Shyamalan film glass i feel very reluctant about it but maybe you'll prove me wrong maybe my fears that i explained in our uh, in our unbreakable episode will be overcome maybe i'll be defeated but like i would highly recommend during the week that you check out uh the split because it's it's also a follow-up to split but um, and I have not seen Glass as you have also not seen it, so we'll both see it for the first time. But yep, I'm gonna rewatch Split. Uh, I don't need to rewatch Unbreakable. We just covered it only fairly recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, Glass, M Night Shyamalan. He seems like in a Pictures Power phase, he's like our most recurring director. Oh, the, that we've yeah, covered. that's right. This is gonna be the third thing. This is gonna be the third thing from our boy M Night. So. Thank you very much, Bartek, for tickling me throughout the entire episode with your hair, just your beard tickling me. Oh, I shaved pleasant. it yesterday, though, but I mean, no, it's still there, just short. Oh, so now I'm hairier than you in this podcast. Well, okay, cool. I don't know about that. No, you don't know about that. Okay. It'll, it's less ticklish and more like scratching you. Well, you could, you know, you could still uh, make a scratchy thing tickly, but I guess you just don't know how. Well, uh, maybe not, you need to watch Tickled again. It's not as good as the original film Tickled. Scratch wasn't that great. Oh, you want to hear a fun fact about the uh, fun fact about Tickled again? I got another one. They talked about how the guy who, um, the pornography guy, um, one of his conditions to be interviewed f- for fun, he wanted he wanted to tickle him. 
<laughs> wanted to strap him into the chair and tickle him. How did that and, not end uh, up in the documentary? Um, I don't think so. No, I mean, um, how didn't it? Oh, I don't know. And then David Ferrier... Oh, because I think David Ferrier was like, people don't need to see that. Uh, David Ferrier then, being a jerk, demanded that everyone else get tickled too. <laughs> okay. So, there you go. Uh, listening people, you can find us on the social medias of Facebook and Twitter, Spit and Polish Presents. You can hit us up there. We have a follow-up post, discussions, all of that great stuff that you will find on those social media platforms. We have our email, spitandpolished at gmail.com, in which you can email us with your questions, queries, concerns, and recommendations for movies to cover in the future, because we have a list. You just heard our next one is going to be someone's suggestion you have to suggest something for us to cover or else we aren't going to cover it if you're sitting there furrowing your brow going when are they going to cover this 1947 german expressionist film we aren't we don't know about it tell us about it come on guys do the legwork you can also hit us up on those social medias with those suggestions as well bartek do you have any wise words of wisdom to leave us on and or a polish fun fact Oh, right. Yes, so you've been asking me about those lately. Um, let's see. Polish fun fact. Looking around the room, because apparently my room's Polish. Uh, How many frogs are there in Poland? <laughs> I remember one time um, when I was in Poland, I was walking with my cousin. Um, who was a frog. Yeah. <laughs> my cousin who's a frog. <laughs> you were walking, he was hopping, yeah. It was a she, but yeah. Um, oh, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, very cool. Um, yeah, we were walking and there was a frog on the path and she got scared and I said, don't worry. And then we moved on. Oh, well, what do Polish frogs look like? They, they just look like our kind of like, like, what, how, do they look any different or are they just kind of just normal green frogs or what? Um, they're just a bit more conservative. I think they were a bit gray. It was a long time ago. Okay, I just want to make sure, because I know Poland's a cold, barren landscape in comparison to us, so mm. I just wanted to know, also, like, are they different colours? Are they bigger, smaller, wider, thinner? What's the go? Well, the Polish word for frog is żaba. Repeat that? Żaba. Żaba? Yep. Mm, sounds tasty. It sounds like something you would want to eat. You want some żaba? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like someone with a thick accent would, like, offer it to you. You want some żaba? It's like that episode of The Simpsons when he goes to the Twin Towers and he's offered some Mountain Dew or crab juice and some, um, what was it? He, uh, some crapola or whatever. I can't remember what it was called. But he's like, and Homer's like, ugh, crab juice, please. You want some, you want some jabba? I don't know what crab is in Polish, but I know lobster is homar. Oh, wow. A lot of like Homer. these animal creatures have a ah name, like at the end of it. Jabba, Hobba, yeah, Homer. It's, it's a lot of R's. It's like Homer, but with an A instead of an E. Oh, there you go. And he um, had a pet lobster at one point, didn't he? Yes, he did. Homer um, and his Homer. <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, listening people, remember to drink up your Jabba. <laughs>